Welcome to Multiple Revenue Streams, the podcast for anyone who wants to start a side hustle, business owners who wish to expand, entrepreneurs who build brands, and moms who build empires. I'm your host, Linda Payan, and I'm here to encourage you to keep going, do the little things every day, and start building a revenue stream that you are proud of. Please sit back, relax, grab your sparkling water, and let's find it. Welcome to the MRS podcast. Today we have Dana K. White, who is much to her surprise, a decluttering expert and the creator of the five-step no mess decluttering method. Dana shares realistic home management strategies and a message of hope for the hopelessly messy in her books, Organizing for the Rest of Us, Decluttering at the Speed of Life, which is a Wall Street Journal bestseller, and How to Manage Your Home Without Losing Your Mind. Dana teaches her strategies through her blog, podcast, and videos at aslobcomesclean.com and trains coaches in her unique decluttering process at declutteringcoaches.com. Welcome, Dana. Thanks for having me on. This is fun. I'm so grateful that you're here with us today. Why don't you share with us how you got started? I know you started, you mentioned you started with your blog. How did you get started with your business? Well, I wanted to be a writer. This was me when I had been a theater arts teacher and then I had kids, I stayed home. And so I wanted that creative outlet. And I now realize I always had some entrepreneurial things in my brain that I hadn't necessarily thought about pursuing necessarily as business, but I wanted to be a writer because I thought that is a creative endeavor that would feed that part of my soul. I'd always enjoyed writing. And I thought, well, maybe that could pair well with having young kids. Of course, now I have different feelings about that. But anyway, <laughs> it's a lot. I found blogs. Like I discovered blogs. This was in 2009. So they were, they weren't at their newest. The best advice that I've heard, which is really a joke, but is what's the best time to start a blog? And the answer is 2007. That is just the reality that they were crazy in 2007. I discovered them in 2008. I started mine in 2009 and it was still at the height of blogs, but I didn't quite get that first natural, oh my word, it exists. So people are going to read it necessarily. The reason it took me a year and a half to start it from when I realized I've got to have a blog to actually starting it was my house was a disaster. And I had always struggled with my home and it was a huge frustration. Like it was hindering our life. And I thought I can't take on this other thing. I can't throw myself into this thing. Cause I know I'll throw myself into it. Cause that's how I roll with my house being in the state that it was. I would try and try and try to get my house together with this new, okay, but if I can do this, then I can do this thing I really want to do. I can start a blog. It was a constant frustration, like it had been my whole life. And then I came up with a compromise to write about that. And I thought it was a practice temporary blog. Like it was kind of my, okay, I'll write about getting my house under control. It'll be a way to keep me focused. I mean, it was honestly a spiritual thing. Like, you know, like I had prayed about this and this was the thing that came to me. You know, I was like, okay, I this is what I want to do desperately. This will give me an excuse to do it. Help me learn about blogging, which is something I want to do. And then in a couple of months, my house will be perfect. And I will then start writing about other things, but this will be a way to kind of go ahead and learn things. So I started it anonymously. I always had it in my mind that I wanted to be a writer. Like I wasn't doing this just because blogging sounded fun. I was doing it because I want to be a writer. Here is an immediate access opportunity that I have to start doing 
writing that and I thought, whatever I want to write in the future, it can't hurt to go ahead and start writing now. And so I did that. So even though it was a temporary practice blog in my brain, I always had the intention of turning it into a business someday. It wasn't necessarily, I've got to make money immediately. My daughter was three at the time. She's 17 or she's about to be 17 now. She was my youngest. She was at home still full-time during the day. So I, I started the blog and I put ads on the site, found out about that. I was doing things to try to grow the blog because I was like, well, I'm doing this as a learning experience anyway, so I might as well try all these things. And then it took me a year of the blog to earn my first hundred dollars, which is your first payout with Google AdSense. But I was just building. I was just like, I'm going to do this. Well, as I went, I figured out there's a real need for somebody to to be speaking openly and honestly about their struggles in their home. This is hitting a nerve. And then people were learning from me. I resisted that for a long time. I was like, don't learn from me. Why would anyone learn from me about this stuff? I am the worst at it. But as I was figuring things out, people were like, no, I'm learning so much from watching you do this and from reading about it. A couple of years in, I wrote my first ebook after resisting that for a long time. I was like, no, I can't write any kind of a guide, but people kept asking. They kept saying, we want a guide. And so I wrote that and that really opened up the whole, oh, this is my actual business there is enough of a need that people will pay me to meet that need for them. That was basically the beginning of everything that I do, which is now a lot more than (laughs) just blogging. So from blogging, where did you go from, you said blogging, and then you did an ebook. What was after that? And were you doing, did you build the website and the blog all by yourself? Yes. So I started, I had had all this research that I had done, I think into different platforms. And of course this was back when a blogging platform, what there were lots of those because I was starting this as a, as an anonymous practice thing. I threw out all my research and I just did the quickest thing I could do, which was, it was blogspot at the time. I don't even know for sure if that still exists, but it was a slob comes clean dot blogspot.com. That was what I, so it was a free Google based platform for blogging. I didn't spend any money for about a year. I bought my domain name finally after about a year because I was going to a conference. Well, I guess that would have been my first, you know, spending I went to a blogging conference thinking I was going to be learning about the blog. I would start eventually, not the one right now. <laughs> um, and so that happens, happens, isn't it? Right. And even beforehand, kind of in the interaction between people going, people had mentioned, you got to have your domain name. And so I had purchased my domain name and that was the the first purchase that I did. And then a couple of years in, maybe two years in, I um, moved over to WordPress where you have a lot more control and ownership over your site. So where did you go after your ebook? What path did you take after that? Started my podcast in 2013. So we're getting on, you know, 10 years now in August. Amazing. It's crazy. It's so funny because I just, just moved to a network and working with the tech people, they were like, you're one of the OG people. And I'm like, well, okay. (laughs) So I went to a blogging conference after a year. And then I started going to that conference every year and that changed everything for me. I mean, you know, it, it gave me the confirmation that what you're doing has value. You need to pursue this thing. It gave me connections with other people, which then helped me build my blog. And the most pivotal session that I ever went to was somebody who was talking about like YouTube and podcasting. And she said, you don't have a blog. You have a message Said you have a message. You need to put that message into various formats because not everyone reads blogs. And so for you to only put your message into a blog, 
means you're only reaching a percentage of the people who need to hear that message. That was powerful, but it also helped me realize, oh, okay. Cause I had thought podcast sounds fun, even though I didn't really know what it was. YouTube sounds fun. I didn't know what content I would do. I was like, well, but I've already written these, this, so I have to come up with more stuff to do to create a YouTube channel or whatever. And she was like, you use the same content, but in different formats. Like, you know, so if you've, if you've taught someone how to declutter, we'll now put that into a video, same thing that you would have written because it's not the same audience. You're not repeating. Now, granted, there are people who will read, watch, listen to anything I do, but in as a standard, you are not repeating it. You're just putting it into a different format, if that makes sense. And that, that was pivotal for me that like changed how I saw everything. And it really informs how I have built my business. I just look at it as, okay, this foundation that I'm building by putting the same message into different formats. So you went to the conference and that was pivotal. When you can take away one item, that whole conference was so worth it because your business can just explode. Yes. That was always my goal. Every year when I would go, I would say, okay, I need to learn because you get so much, right? Like there's so many things you could do and it can be completely overwhelming. And I would say, I need to make one change Mm -hmm. that adds a new income stream for me. I need to do something that either significantly increases an existing income stream or adds a new one. You know, for example, I went to (laughs) I went to an advertising conference with my advertiser, my website ads right before COVID, about probably the year before COVID. And I had for all these years said, I don't want to do video ads. I can't stand them. I really don't like them. And then going to that conference and just in conversation with someone, they said, this is how much that adds to my income every month. And I went, okay, well, I don't hate them as much anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and is it pretty significant? Yes. Yes. I mean, it basically increased it by at the time, I would say at least by a third, probably more like 40% growth in my ad income, just by adding in video ads that made suddenly what had been a decent little, you know, income stream into a significant income stream. But that one conversation I would not have had if I hadn't been at that conference, it just changes everything. That's all. Yeah, I believe those conversations. Yeah. When did you start writing your book? How many years into your blog was it when you started writing your first book? So my first traditionally published book, I signed the contract in 2015. So that would have been right at six years of the blog. Yeah. Two or three years of the podcast. It was, it was through a connection with someone. I mean, it was actually a fiction writer. She was a fiction writer and working to independent publishing. And so she was doing entrepreneurial things. So we would have these conversations. And then one of the pieces of advice I gave her was, I was like, you need to connect with other fiction writers because you can't write every book that somebody wants to read. You know, if somebody reads fiction, they don't want to just read one book a year that you write, you know, it's like, they want to read a bunch. So connect with other people who write similar things to you. And so she had done that. She had ended up with an agent through that. Her agent was looking to bring on nonfiction authors. And so she brought them to me. So, you know, it's it's, those connections are huge. And so I I signed with this agent and we had a contract. I think I signed with her in April and we had a contract in June for my first book. And they ended up offering me a two book contract. I don't necessarily recommend, uh, especially on your first one. Did you have to do that second book within a certain time frame? 
Yeah, there is a date on the contract for that, but everybody's always like, oh, but it's whatever. But technically, if the date's on the contract, they can hold you to it. The first book did fine, but was not like any kind of a bestseller at all. And, and then there was some turnover within the publisher okay. of the people who'd brought me on versus the people who were there now. And, you know, so they don't have the personal investment, like their job depends on how well my books does, book does and all that kind of stuff. Oh, we're not sure. We're not sure. We're not sure. Okay. Now we're sure. And I had like nine weeks to write it. It was crazy. Yeah. It was nine weeks to write a book. Yes. Second one. The second one. It, It was, it was a very tough time. Now that book is the one paying for college for my kids. You know, like it's the one that has done extremely well consistently. It, It came out in 2018. That's the New York Times bestseller then. No, it's not New York Times. It's the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. That's sorry. Wall Street. (laughs) I mean, that one has done really well and it consistently does well. And so it really wasn't until, I think it was probably about a year after that book came out was when my publisher was like, Oh, Dana, I don't know how much you want to go into the weeds of publishing, but it can be hard. I mean, it really is. I mean, if people had warned me, they were like, listen, and my agent was very honest. She was like, they make it sound amazing when you're negotiating a contract. They make it sound like, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this. And what she's saying, what they're saying is we're going to try to do this, this, and this, but they can't, they have no guarantee of what they, what shows they can get you on or anything like that, what kind of publicity they can get you. So it sounds great in the beginning, but then I had heard from so many people, once your book is past its promotion period, you're, you're nothing. So it's kind of like that. And then the second book, which the second book did well, again, was not any kind of a bestseller in the beginning. And it wasn't until they later on realized, oh, this book is continually selling really well, where a lot of books have a huge opening release sales Mm-hmm. And then don't, don't continue with that. I am confident, not that I can see anybody else's numbers, but I am extremely confident that Decluttering the Speed of Life has definitely sold more copies than a lot of New York Times bestsellers. But New York Times bestsellers are New York Times bestsellers because of the number that they sell in a week. Got it. So, right. Sometimes, and, and, and I'm not saying all, I mean, I'm not saying anything that stays on the list. No, definitely. You know, they've sold more than me, but you got to have that big one week of sales, which is why people push the pre-orders so hard because those count toward that first week of sales. And that the and that's why they go on on all the different shows yeah. and podcasts and it's all about that first week. There's huge value in the book that continues to sell consistently. But mm-hmm. as far as the publicity and all that kind of stuff, that is so targeted toward that first week. Can I ask how much it costs to get started with publishing just your first book? Oh, it shouldn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost me anything. It doesn't. Um, no. I mean, if you're traditionally published. Now, if you are, if you're self-published, independently published, like my first eBooks were, I don't know if it exists anymore, but there was a book called by Amazon called how to build your book on Kindle. And I just followed the direct, I mean, I wrote the book obviously, but then I followed the directions for all the formatting and all that kind of stuff. So I did all of that myself. I don't know that that book still exists anymore, but there are definitely ways to do it. You absolutely can format your own book for Kindle. You can format your own book for Create Space, which is Amazon's print on demand. Mm-hmm. Where I would put the money would be artwork for your cover, because that's really, really important. And editing, you, you got to hire an editor. You just have to, So you know, my first ebook, my mom did it and she's great. And I think it was great, you know, but after that 
I would have my mom do it. She still reads everything. <laughs> She's still my first reader of anything. But then I hired someone to, to come in and edit. It's just important because otherwise people are like, oh, I'm never reading another book by that person again because there were so many mistakes or whatever. And I'm somebody who is a perfectionist, writing and grammar and all that kind of stuff. And yet I because of that, I see the value in the editor. Of course. So, but as far as traditional publishing, no, ideally you're going to have an agent. I'm a big fan of having an agent. If you can possibly get one because they earn their money, that's their goal. Like they, I guess I'm technically on my third agent now, the two that have gotten contracts for me, they've earned their money by the negotiations. So I am not like, Oh, I have to give them 15%. No. I mean, they're like, Here's the offer they give me. They come back with this. They come, they don't just come back with saying, Hey, can we increase the advance by this much? They also say, Can you increase this percentage of this thing that's going to be down the line? And can you increase this percentage by one percentage point or two percentage so points? So you're actually making more by hiring them in the long run. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To me, it's just an absolute non-negotiable. For example, I had a book just offered my last book, Organizing for the Rest of Us. My agent had stopped being an agent and she just went to a different career. I didn't have an agent immediately because I was like, well, I'm not pitching anything right now. So I'm okay. And then my publisher came to me and said, hey, we want you to write this Organizing for the Rest of Us, which is a gift book, which is basically tip format comment of my, uh, content of my other books. You know, it's just a different format of a book. So I could have just taken the money and not used an agent. And instead I was like, no, I'm going to go get an agent, which was very easy because I already had a book contract in my hand. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, no, I'd rather have an agent because I don't want to go through this by myself. And I do want them to comb through it and know, I think you could give her a little bit more here, a little bit more there, whatever. Plus, I feel like any questions you may have, you run it by them and they're the professionals. So you're not second guessing and third guessing and fourth guessing yourself. Perfectionists do. (laughs) Right. They're on my side. And my publisher is great. They're wonderful, but they're there to do business. And so they're looking at the contract from their perspective. You need somebody to look at it from your perspective of how does this actually play out for Dana? So let's go back a little bit and tell us when you hired your first either employee or contractor, or maybe a mix of both. Tell us how how you did that in your business. I don't feel like I'm the greatest at this. I think it was probably two to three years in, maybe probably about a year and a half in. I had met somebody at a blogging conference and she and I would talk and she had hired someone to handle her Pinterest. Pinterest was new. It was just something that I wasn't terribly interested in figuring out and learning. And she had hired someone to do Pinterest for her. And so I used the same person. And so that was my first expense. I think it was maybe $80 a month or maybe $50 a month. I don't know, but it was, that's amazing right there. It was a (laughs) huge expense to me though. You know, like I, I could only justify it because I had just gotten one of my first like ongoing ads on the site. I I think I was paying her $50 a month and, and I was making $80 a month on this ad. And so I was like, okay, I could actually pay her. I actually have something consistently coming in. So yeah, I mean, and and it was like, oh, okay, that increases things. And then I was just starting to think I need to have somebody to help with, I forget, maybe it was something, a Facebook post or something like that. And a friend of mine, she had just put it on Facebook. Hey, I'm looking for a like super part-time job. You know, I just want to make a little bit extra money. So I was like, Hey, okay, why don't you do this? And so she worked for me for a couple of years I would say maybe 10, 12 hours a month, you know I mean? So it wasn't, 
but yeah. it was like, I'm, you know, I'm making a little bit of money here. And so I feel like I can do this. And then that increases what I'm able to do, which increases how much money I make, you know, so all those things work together. She went into some, she started doing something else. I needed somebody to replace her. And so I had somebody who had commented on every single post I ever wrote. And this was back in the days where I wrote blog posts pretty much every day. And she would comment on every post and she was always just lovely. I could tell she fully understood and appreciated what I was doing. And so she, she understood the value of the content. She understood the content. She understood me. And she also had a website that she was working on consistently. She knows the back end of things. Like I wouldn't have to teach her all that. And so I sent her an email out of the blue, had never communicated directly with her. She just read the blog. And I was like, Hey, I know this is a random question, but would you have any interest in doing some VA work for me? Because I need somebody and you seem to really understand what's going on around here. And, and so she did, and she still works for me now. Like she's, that's the best kind, the loyal customers the loyal, or followers. She's passionate about the message and she didn't need a full-time job. She, she didn't want a full-time job. Her, her kids have like all you know, graduated and stuff. I think maybe she has one still at home. And so she can take on a little bit more work than she used to be able to. That was part of it. I'm like, I didn't know. I was like, I can't, I can't provide enough work or pay enough money for this to be somebody's full-time job. And so it was like finding somebody who wanted something on the side extra. That was, you know, really what I was, I was looking for. I'd like to ask that question because I find that we're all struggling with that. We don't need a 40 hour a week person because we have different needs in different areas. Like you just mentioned your website, Pinterest, social media, PR, they're, they're just all vastly different. And that one person, you know, I guess they could do it, but it would be such a, such a learning curve that it wouldn't be worth it to anybody. So it's interesting how we find all the different help that we need. Yes. And then, so what does your team look like now? So I have her, so we do a spreadsheet every month for Facebook. So we do like six posts a day, I think on Facebook of existing past content. So she creates the spreadsheets for that. I go in and write the blurb, you know, like what I'm going to say on Facebook. So she'll have all the content there. And then there's a column where I'll be like, this was a time when I figured out such and such or what, you know, something like that. And then I have my daughter now, actually, I had somebody else who did it for a while, another stay at home mom who just wanted a little bit extra money every month. But now my daughter schedules those things on Facebook. So, <laughs> so the one, my assistant, she creates that's she has to know the content. You know what I mean? Like she knows the content. She knows how things work. So she makes the spreadsheet. My daughter does the actual posting it onto, you know, Facebook within the scheduler. Linda, who's the, you know, makes the spreadsheet. She also, she will put newsletters together for me. So again, she does all of the grabbing the links, getting the images in there, creating the actual newsletter itself. And then they all exist within my email provider. And then I can pick one that I want to send out this week and go in and write what I want to write, you know, so all the words are mine, but it takes away all those time consuming technical things so that when I have a moment, I can go in and have a newsletter done in 15 minutes instead of, you know, where it could take me 45 minutes to an hour if I had to do all the other little things. Maybe right. Sometimes, sometimes newsletters take even longer than that. So yeah, right. So she, because depending on 
depending on everything, there's a lot to it. So yeah. that's wonderful. Smart. Yeah. So she does that. She's also recently taken on, you know, I, I now certified decluttering coaches. She has taken on the grading for the training course and onboarding people onto the site because they're listed on my website, you know, by their region and all that so that they can get clients from that. Yes. So let's talk about that. Tell us about how you train people and tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I just started this a couple months ago. It's something that has been on my list for literally five years at the very, very least. I remember going to a conference of podcasters, which was kind of more like a, a retreat almost about five years ago. And it had been in my mind as this, you know, what I really think would be valuable at some point. We'd been talking all weekend and we were like at our last meal together before we left. And I mentioned that this was a dream and they were all like that, that's the thing you've got to do. <laughs> I was like, I know, I know, but it took me forever to actually get it done because it is, it is quite an endeavor. I have my decluttering process, which is different than other decluttering process. I it just, it's unique. It works. It's based on the, the mindset and the minds of those of us who really struggle, it works exceptionally well with other people. I have this proven by the fact that people have read the books and they have applied it in their homes and they have applied it with other people. And it really does work. You know, so it was one of those things where people were already using it mm -hmm. to work with clients. And so I was like, I want to take this and, and, and it also I can't personally help everybody. I have to spend my time creating this content. That's my role in this world of decluttering business that I've built. I don't have the time to go into someone's home for three to five to eight hours to work on their stuff, but some people need that. That was the thing that was missing. And so I recorded a training course that anybody can do. Then if you successfully complete the training course, then you get a link to be able to be certified and the certified being certified is an additional cost, you know, but you can only get that if you've been through the course. So once you purchase certification, then Linda will go in and she will, you know, look through all of your assessments that you did for each of the units within the training course make sure that you fully understand what it is that we're doing here, you know, so that it's worth listing you on my site that people are going to know what they're getting when they get you. And then you get listed on the site. And then I do a monthly training as well. And I have curriculum for both a, like a one hour speaking event, like at a local library or something where you can gain clients through doing that. Or we are going to have like a six to eight week curriculum where you can lead a class of people. So you provide the curriculum for them. Yes. Yeah. So, so they one of the for the training and yes. do they collect like CEUs? Is it like, like that where they actually get? Not at this credit? point. At this point, it is, if you are certified, you have access to the monthly trainings and you're on the site. Right. Yeah. But one of the things I hired someone to do was put all of that together. You know, I hired, even though I do my own videos and they're a little bit janky, you know, but Hey, it works great for YouTube. I traveled and went to a studio and had these done because I was like, this has to be a different level. This has to be professional because somebody's paying me $500 for this course. You know, I did that. I also hired someone who just happens to be one of my Patreon people. And we had done a session because I'll do strategy sessions with Patreon members that then get played on the podcast. So we had done one and she had said at the end, she said, I know you've mentioned wanting to do a certification program at some point. And she said, Hey, I just, that's like my background. She used to work for Google and she did adult education and certification programs, you know? And so, so I, uh, hired her and that's probably one of the most expensive people I've ever hired, 
but it was worth it. Some of the feedback that we get on the course is people love the assessments because she is that's, that's her, her profession. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's her specialty. Like we don't just say multiple choice. Did Dana say this? Yes, no, maybe. You know, I mean, like it's she designs the assessment so that people actually are gaining these skills. You know, for example, one of the things is I do weekly Q and A's on YouTube and we took real people questions because I'm answering real people questions and we would say the question and then she would have them give their answer. And then they would watch what I said just to then compare and stuff. So she was really, really good at all of that. And that's been well worth it. She's also designing the curriculum for the single session or six to eight week class for people. So it's all based on my stuff. It's all based on my books and everything, but she's mm-hmm. putting the actual curriculum together for that. So I could do that, but when worth it. Yeah. When exactly. <laughs> and like, it's going to get done if I pay her to do it. And so it's, that's basically what everything comes down to. Absolutely. Yeah. You have a lot of multiple income streams here and I love you're sharing how you did it over time. A lot of people will look at a website or they're trying to even build a business and They look at all of these things and it does get a little overwhelming, but it's one day at a time. And you've been podcasting for nine years. That's a long time. So you have a lot of content even to build on at that, at this point too, which is really cool. Well, and I didn't, you know, I hired an editor for my podcast four years ago, maybe. So I did six years of podcasting before I ever hired an editor. And I would say, and I mean, it's embarrassing sometimes when I'm like, oh my goodness, those first ones that had zero editing. My solution for not being able to do things perfectly is just to do things honestly. I was like, listen, I can have a podcast with no editing or I can not have a podcast. I couldn't justify the expense of an editor and I couldn't take the time to do it myself. And I had learned that because the year before I had done YouTube. So years, I do YouTube now, but for years I didn't because I did it for a year. I really enjoyed it. It was gaining a lot of momentum compared to, you know, other people on YouTube at the time. So I was editing them myself and it was taking me so much time that I also would find myself not decluttering because I was like, if I'm going to declutter, I need to put on makeup and a bra (laughs) and I get out the camera and all this kind. And so I was putting off decluttering and I was like, no, that defeats the whole purpose of why I am doing what I'm doing. It's supposed to be motivation for me to work on my house. And so I was like, I can't. So I had to give that up. But because of that experience, when I went into podcasting, I was like, it's either no podcast or an unedited podcast. And it's funny to me how many people were so sad when I got an editor. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. Because they were like, oh, we love all the rambling, you know, like, which I mean, <laughs> don't ramble. Don't, don't get me wrong. I ramble like nobody's business because you got to fill up 30 minutes to an hour of me talking. You know? it, it's just the reality. You know, I got, I got her. And then, but the reason I got her was I was starting to get ads and I, was like, okay, I'm getting ads. So now I can afford an editor, but also it's really hard to be doing the podcast and then have to stop in the middle and read an ad and read it perfectly. Cause they want it read exactly. You know, you can't mess up on the ads. So I was having to go in and do my own editing. And I was like, no, I don't want to do this. I'm going to go ahead and do this. Well then, you know, that built. And then I eventually brought on my best friend. She works for me now. And so she handles a lot of my emails and email responses. Cause I, it wasn't happening. I was not, I was reading all the emails. And in my mind, I was saying, thank you so much. This means so much that you sent me this email. And yet I wasn't able to answer. She 
takes care of a lot of that for me. It's all my words, but because I get a lot of very similar emails, you know, this, you know, these are, these are my words and it's all really how I respond. And I put it in her thing. And if it's not something that she's going to be able to answer, then I don't put it in her her thing, which means it probably never gets answered anyway. So she did that. She started writing my ad copy. I go in and I write all the personal experience, but it's so time consuming to be like, okay, you have to say something from this category and something from this category, and then put in your personal experience, blah, blah. So she does all of that. And then I come in and make it personal and write my own experience and then say, you know, so it's just like Patreon. Patreon is a viable income source for me now. And it was not until I hired her. Yes. Can we talk about Patreon for a little bit? Can you tell us like what that means for people that may not know about that? Yeah. So it is basically people are patrons of what you do. So the truth is that they are supporting you in what you do because they see value in what you do. You can offer perks for patrons and let's just be honest. A lot of them are in it for the perks, which is fine. You know, like, of course I understand that, but you know, in the beginning I offered Patreon, I really didn't have any perks. And so I had maybe, I don't know, 20, 25 or something like that, which I was great. But then over time, you're like, okay, I'd like to earn a little more from that. So I added a little bit and eventually I added in a Facebook group and uh, this was after my first book. And so I'd had a, I'd been scared to death of Facebook groups, you know, because I have been in a few that were scary, right? (laughs) I did not want to have to manage that, but I'd had one for one of my book launches. And I was like, okay, this was lovely. Like people were being lovely. It was a great support area. And so I went, okay, I'm going to add a Facebook group to that. But then the onboarding of people into a secret group is so time consuming. Like if you want to have it be private, that's fine. But a big part of the appeal for my people is that you can't find this group. Like you can't see who's in it. You cannot Google it. You cannot search it. You can't find it. Mm-hmm. And so with a secret group, there's all this steps that you have to go through to get people in. You can't just send them a link like you can with other groups. So because of that, I was falling behind. And so I was like, yes, I have a Facebook group. And then it would, it was just a huge hassle for me. So I brought her on to do that. And so she handles getting people into the group and figuring it out because Facebook will change how they do it every, you know, six months or something. I think it is now five times what it was when I brought her on. So group. The yes, Facebook group. The, in, the income that I make from the group. So, you know, where I was making, okay, you know, now it's what I use to pay my people. You know, that's like, that's like in my brain, it's like, okay, I get my PayPal payment from Patreon and then I pay my people. So what is Patreon exactly? It's patreon.com. It is a, um, it's just a way for people to pay creators, uh, to support okay. creators. Yeah. And so, um, you can have a discord group in there. I don't know anything about discord groups. The reality is people are on Facebook and I need people to be able to share pictures, which is the number, you know, where Facebook has value that a lot of, a lot of other places, it's hard to do that. Um, so, so yeah, you can also do a podcast feed. I added, I now do a monthly, uh, group call with the Patreon people. And then that goes out as an audio podcast only for those people. Lots of perks. Yeah. So about how many people would you say that you have working for you right now? I mean, I think it's maybe six or seven. I have a tech guy on retainer, mostly for emergencies only, which emergencies do happen. You know? Right. I have my best friend who does my email and the podcast type stuff. And then I have, uh, you know, Linda that 
who I've never met in person, but she's worked with me for a really long time (laughs) (laughs) and she does, you know, she's taken on the decluttering coaches. She does anything on the website, like photos and things like that, that I need her to do. You know, my daughter, my son is my YouTube editor. So, you know, I, I don't know, probably around eight or so my podcast editor. And then like, I've brought somebody on right now for a project as I, as I've moved podcast networks and she's going back into old episodes and putting in ad markers and stuff like that. So that's a project that my regular people don't have time for. So I've hired somebody just to do just that. So wonderful. I feel like I'm super rambly. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're not, you're not at all. I find this fascinating. I, I do just because you went from trying to clean up your house and, you know, you mentioned you mentioned that it was unbearable. Can you share, can you give us a visual of what your house looked like? Yeah. I mean, I, I always say it's not like I couldn't have anybody over. I just needed two weeks to get ready. Okay. So (laughs) I would spend the first week decluttering, which was really, I didn't know it, but I was just stuff shifting. I was just moving things around Mm -hmm. and I was shoving everything in the master bedroom because that was the door that I could lock. And then I would spend the second week cleaning because you can't actually clean well when there's clutter everywhere. So, so yeah, I mean, that's the state that I was in. So I would have people over. I wanted to have people over, but it was a huge deal where I had to shut down the rest of my life for two weeks to be able to do that, which of course meant it did not happen spontaneously and it didn't happen that often, you know, and it was always very stressful. So, so yeah, that's, that's where things were. I generally would have a space that might have passed for hoarders. It would, you know, a room, a a space in the house. And that would kind of, I'd clean out that room, not actually decluttering, just moving things to another place. And then eventually it'd be a different room and then it'd be a different room. So it was never the whole house that was like that, but there was always a room that was that way. I feel that. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Why don't you tell us what your favorite app is that you use in your business daily? I use my notes app. That's my to-do list. Okay. I also use it for scanning documents. I love that you can do that from your phone. I did not know that for a very long time. No, I I love my notes. I have an iPhone and there's a little, um, I don't know if you use it or not, but there's a little, when you're writing a note, there's a little like check mark circle and line down at the bottom. It's like two circle line, circle line stacked on top of each other. Oh yeah. Yeah. And if you do that, then it will turn your note into a checklist and oh uh, look at that I didn't even realize that yeah and so then if you if you answer the first time or whatever it'll say do you want it to move things to the bottom as you check it so I use that all the time so that I can check things off and that way I can see what I have left to do and yeah and I I mean as far as like that's brilliant I also use google docs like nobody's business I Google spreadsheets are my very favorite. We've got a newsletter spreadsheet where my assistant puts in the draft link so that I can click on that and go straight to that. We use spreadsheets for our Facebook stuff that goes out. We use spreadsheets for, um, I love Google forms, you know, mm-hmm. Google forms are, are the coolest thing. Do you use Google forms? I do. Yeah. That's like what you filled out. What? I think that's what you filled out. Yes. Yeah. I mean, like it's the coolest thing ever because it puts it into a spreadsheet for you. Like I love it so incredibly much, you know? So that's what I have my askdannykwhite.com where people can go to ask me questions and it puts it into a spreadsheet for me. And then I'm able to use color coding on that spreadsheet. And my assistant will go in and she will 
take those and then put them into StreamYard. And, you know, so like, all, it, and they're so shareable. They're so easily accessible by multiple people. It's, I'm, they're the best. I love that. What's the best advice you've ever received? So it was my, my friend who's my assistant now. <laughs> Her husband worked in this kind of social media business long before most people in the world did. So I was building things and he said, I think I had just started Facebook. Like I had had the blog for a year and then I'd gone to that conference and they were like, you gotta have a Facebook page. And I was like, I don't want to have a Facebook page, you know, but um, <laughs> cause it just felt like another thing to do, you know, hundred percent. I'm with you. Right. And so, and he was just like, he said, Dana, he said, whatever people like about you on the blog, just be that same person, but in a Facebook version. Like, so what's the Facebook version of the blogging you, you know, so it's really kind of the same concept, which would be the other biggest piece of advice. You don't have a blog, you have a message, put that message into different formats to reach different people. And as you do that, you also find formats that are more fun for you than others, you know, like, okay, this is where, yes, all this stuff exists for all these different people. But here's where it, like the people who need this the most are hanging out in this format. That's where I shift a lot of time and energy. I love it. Thank you. And lastly, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm at islobcomesclean.com. That is the blog that I started back in 2009. Um, so yeah, that's like the home base for everything. Declutteringcoaches.com is also my uh, website where people can go to find coaches or become a coach. And it's funny because some people are like, oh, but how do we know which ones are yours? I'm like, no, no, that's my site. I own it. It is all my coaches, you know? So you can find me at aslobcomesclean.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the MRS podcast today. It's been a, a total pleasure. I couldn't wait for you to come on. And I'm, I just loved our conversation. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. And now a quick note from our sponsor. What's the number one piece of jewelry, maybe besides your wedding band that you wear every day? I don't know about you, but for me, it's earrings. No matter how busy I am, I put a pair of earrings on every day. And I keep an extra pair in my purse for earring emergencies because let's face it, we are all super busy. Try the Complete Luxury Earring of the Month Club, where you will receive one pair of earrings every month. The whole idea of the Earring of the Month Club is to build an earring wardrobe for you to have a variety of earrings, no matter what the occasion, no matter what your mood, you will have earrings to wear with your outfit. Many of our customers tell us they would not have picked out some of the earrings, but love them. And once they put them on, they wear them all the time. For your Earring of the Month Club experience, go to completeluxurybox.com forward slash earrings. That's completeluxurybox.com forward slash earrings with an S.